This is The Coffee Break, a podcast on the state of the networking business where we discuss vendors, moves and news analysis on products and positioning and look at the business aspects of networking in the time it takes to have a coffee break. We think. I'm Greg Farrow and with me today is Andrew Conry-Murray. How are you today, Andrew? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm awake. I'm functional. I'm recovering from being in San Francisco. We didn't record a show last week because I was away. Yeah, we were both at uh, the Open Networking Summit, and you also had some business uh, up north. Yes, I was hanging around at an investors' conference doing something new and interesting, talking to fund managers and things. That's quite entertaining. Talking to the money guys. Yeah, like real money guys, not the venture capitalists, you know, who sort of have a big petty cash tin, the people with real money. (laughs) (laughs) Did you learn anything interesting from the the big money holders? Uh, The more money you have, the more serious it gets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, it's oh, very, it makes very good sense. It's very interesting um, seeing. So, you know, I'm mostly a customer. I've never worked for a vendor. I've never worked for an analyst firm. I've never worked for a wholesaler. You know, I've never worked in the what I call the sell side of the business, which is the people sure. who make stuff and sell it for a living. I've been a reseller, but that was, you know, the last time I worked for a reseller was over a decade ago. I understand, you know, the sales, but mostly from facing towards the customer or being a customer. So, Seeing the like even further back, the people who give you know who buy the shares and invest in these companies, which you know we hear all these arguments about, you know shareholders demand this and what shareholders want and all this. It's a, just an eye-opening experience to see that uh, in real life, if you know what I'm saying. It's just a thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you meet those people and they ask you questions and you go, why would you ask that question? That seems very odd. And then you know you talk about it, what your opinions are, and off they go. You don't get any it's not a two-way conversation either it's a one-way conversation (laughs) (laughs) this isn't a sales yeah yeah here in the united states with the way our system of government works money is speech so i'm sure that applies in business as well it very probably is but we did actually have some news this week Uh, we were both at the ons uh the open uh networking summit Mm-hmm. I was only there for the Monday, uh, which was entertaining. I got to see a couple of panels, um, again, focused on the money side of the business, where I was watching carriers talk about their hopes and expectations around uh, white box networking and open SDN, which was very interesting because it was very clear that they see this as a way to change not only their um, business structure. Now, what I mean by that is, they see it as a way to reduce the provisioning problems they have with proprietary system, what they call proprietary systems today. So they all have these OSS mm-hmm. and BSS systems, which are, you know, proprietary and don't operate interoperate. And they see right. the open stuff as finding a way to solve that problem, as well as giving them lower cost access to hardware because open systems will be significantly cheaper than what they pay today for closed systems. I don't. Know, yeah. Did you see any of that? I did. I felt like uh, ONS, I mean, my perspective on SDN has always been enterprise-focused because that's where I you know, do my coverage, but o- ONS felt very much like a uh, carrier-provider-centric show. Uh, that seems like that's where all the action is happening with software-defined networking, um, you know, where the rubber meets the road with people actually doing stuff, trying to make it work. So that was eye-opening for me. Um, and I know one of the big speakers there was from AT&T, John Donovan, who's an executive vice president, and he was talking about, you know, the things they hope to do, like uh, 
speeding up the development of new services, um, and they're actively trying to bring in new vendors and partners, including startups, uh, to help them get there. Yeah, I got a sense that it wasn't just about saving money. It was about making money go further. So it's not about being sure. cheap. It was about finding new ways to do business faster and better. As much Absolutely. As, yeah. A lot of people think SDN's going to save money or the world's going to change or, you know, whatever it was. But I didn't see that at all. I saw just as much news coming out of the ONS about, you know, um, the reason for not choosing proprietary solutions is not just because of money, although that is part of the consideration. The reason is they see open systems as actually doing better business because they're open and interoperable and they can be changed and they don't have some of the baggage that comes with proprietary solutions. It wasn't a proprietary solutions are too expensive. It was a these are the business reasons for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is different from the rhetoric we've had in the past, which has always been why is my big router too expensive. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. So I sort of thought uh, uh, it was very interesting, though, that I did see a panel of six carriers, and this was an off-piste session, and all six carriers did point out that hardware is just far too expensive, and they need to get the price of it down. And they are expressed what I thought was very solid um, points in a, in a panel about how the, they're going to push into white box and open hardware where it makes sense to do so, to be able to bring the price of hardware under control, which now if you figure that only one in five of those carriers do that, that's a 20% shift to white box, and that's going to have a significant impact on the bottom line of some big companies. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious if you anticipate a similar move in the enterprise. Uh, I do. This, this, this white box adoption. I do. I do. I know some people believe that white box isn't going to be is you know only for Facebook and Google, but I think the pressures on the enterprise to people to reduce costs is actually far greater than Facebook or Google, and it will happen very quietly, and it will happen in just little bits here and there. You know, people mm -hmm. people will buy a switch or two and try it out, and if it works, they'll come back and buy some more and find ways to make them work. I think it'll be you know, enterprises don't stand up and wave their IT strategies around in the open like AT&T does, <laughs> which is a topic coming up. And um, But I think particularly in the campus, which is fundamentally, um, you know, very slow moving, there's not a lot of innovation there. Right. Um, I know that Cisco ACI and made some announcements over the last week or two around their intention to um, SDN all the things, but I don't. Mm -hmm. I think I see that as at this point in time, I see that as a defending people leaving Cisco for Whitebox rather than a, an enhanced value proposition. I mean, we still don't know what the features are in ACI that would make it, you know, running a campus any better or any easier. Um, yes, which I think is the case for at least based on what I've heard for pretty much any SDN vendor when you're talking about the campus. Well, there are definite advantages. SDN can offer operational advantages for people in the campus. Uh, you know, today we monitor campus networks with SDN with SNMP protocols, and they mm -hmm. are, well, let's face it, not very good. And they're doing things for which they were never intended when they originally, you know, brought about in the early 90s. And uh, you know, getting to SDN would give us a, just simply a better way of provisioning and managing those things, and improving protocols like 802.1x and that sort of thing. But the campus doesn't matter because wireless is about connecting tablets and iPhones. 
you know, smartphones to the corporate network and laptops right. are moving increasingly to wireless in the corporate network. So the actual, you know, how vital those campus switches are for just connecting desktops is actually not as important. Therefore, why am I spending big money on those things? Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, the white box switches are like one third the cost or less, one fifth the cost of branded products at this point in time. So I'm curious, and I mean, a lot of the movement I see around white box switches is at least the people promoting software to run on those white box switches is in the in the data center as opposed mm. to the campus. But it sounds like the campus is a significant opportunity. Um, so I think the campus will be a slow building thing for SDN, and that's not what anybody in the world wants, apparently, because you've all got to build fast, fast, today, today. It's all got to be money, money, now, now, now. So... But I suspect that campus will have far greater impact over time. Mm -hmm. And same for Wi-Fi. I think SDN for Wi-Fi is a much more immediate market too. And it's not talked about much. There are a bunch of companies in that space, but we didn't see them at the ONS. No, we didn't. No. Um, yeah, as I said earlier, it seemed very much uh, service provider focused. Sure. Oh, so one other thing that just struck me is uh, there was an announcement that was led by Velo Systems this week. I don't know if you follow the optical markets at all. A touch. A touch. So Velo, the systems this week announced their open source optical initiative, OSO, mm -hmm. where they're promoting an open optical platform, which is the idea being that optical systems are made of commodity components. They have CPUs and crossbar fabrics, just like any other switch. And if you put in the optical modules like Rodham's and you know line cards and so forth, then you can have a 1RU optical network made from standardized components. And Velo is offering a, an operating system for that box that you could buy roughly similar to what Cumulus is doing in the enterprise, which you and I will uh -huh. be familiar with. Uh -huh. uh, promises to revolutionize a few parts of the optical networking business, of course, um, but mainly uh, enterprise companies and cloud providers who are currently buying circuits from carriers, so buying 10 gig circuits or 40 gig circuits from carriers, you can now go and buy dark fiber from dark fiber providers, light it up with an optical box and then program it with OpenFlow today. Hmm. Hmm. More disruption. Yes, I think so. I think um, it's not for everybody, of course, but if you were a mid-sized cloud provider or even a large one, like for example, Rackspace does this, if they, they don't use the open stuff, they use BTI that I do definitely know about. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they go and lease the fiber because they need it for 10 years. They buy a dark fiber from the carrier, put their own optical gear on, and it means they can turn on the bandwidth as they need. So they can light up 10 gig channels. And I think you can get, you can certainly get 48, you can get up to 96 10 gig channels on a single fiber optic pair. Well, you know, that's, that's a lot more convenient than going back to the carrier every month for another 10 gig line and waiting three months to be provisioned. Right. If you, you know, once you've bought the fiber and you've gone through all the hassle of signing a lease agreement for 10 years, which is, you know, the life of your data center, <laughs> why not just buy the fiber with the data center um, and take it on board as part of the thing and then put some optical gear on it that's um, then on a nice SDN type platform with a lovely GUI that's easy to work with. It should, there's a, there's a good story there. There is a good story. Um, yeah, so another example of... The open source model cracking open the hardware market. Yeah, I think, you know, not for everybody. Again, you yeah. need to be, but uh, if you're somebody who's got, you know, more than a couple of data centers, it doesn't look too hard either. I had a quick look at the software and it looked like um, the hardest part about optical networking is understanding loss. 
you have to put a signal into a fiber and the more signal you can get in and the less loss there is you know how long is the how does the cable propagate and how much signal there's some mm-hmm. stuff in there that you have to master but once you've mastered that there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to run your own optical really mm. pretty straightforward yeah i thought you know once i'd done some research on it and stuff like that so that was related did you see anything else i saw a demo there from um brent salisbury and the open daylight crew talking about their open daylight being integrated with OpenStack. that was very impressive it ran and they were able to use open daylight to provision and and OpenStack combined to mm-hmm. provision machines and provide networking between them from OpenStack. I didn't see that demo at ONS, but I did get a demo of it uh, before the show. So yes, I, I did have a chance to see that, and it was pretty impressive. Yes, as they said, it's not. <laughs> and they were upfront about this. They said, you know, it's not. <laughs> we spent a lot of time getting this code ready, but the hydrogen release shows you the potential of it. It might be a six months over a year before this is ready to go, but it is showing you the way as to how OpenStack could offer you a viable alternative to the commercial products on the market, so a la Hyper-V and VMware's um, ESX. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was pretty compelling um, and also impressive to see Open Daylight moving so quickly from, you know, getting the whole organization off the ground to actually having code do stuff. Yeah, it was. And it was, you know, this is all OpenFlow that they were demonstrating at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Which Mm -hmm. was, you know, and I've seen fairly solidly for the last 12 months, all of the established vendors go, oh, OpenFlow doesn't work. It can't solve all the... Pro- it's just not the right thing. And yet it does. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, you know, we have to take these messages with a grain of salt. Yes, yes. I just thought I'd point that out because I do remember sitting there at the time going, what do you mean it doesn't work and it'll never work? It it can work equally as well as any other strategy, I thought. And, uh, you know, I thought that there was, it was, you know, somewhat um, those messages coming out from the vendors sort of fly in the face of the fact that everybody's actually doing it. You know, the people who are saying OpenFlow can't work or OpenFlow doesn't scale or OpenFlow is not the answer. They're partly right. The OpenFlow protocol in and of itself isn't the only answer. There are other things it needs. Absolutely. But, you know, we call rooting rooting, and inside of rooting, there's a whole bunch of things. So OpenFlow is actually a name for a whole bunch of technologies. So as well as rooting, you know, like like rooting refers to rooting and OSPF and BGP. OpenFlow refers to a whole bunch of things, including OpenFlow and OVSDB and Open Daylight and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. On the same theme, anything else from the show that you wanted to bring up? Um, I had checked out a panel from some venture capitalists uh, since we were talking about money guys earlier, um, just giving their general take on you know uh, where SDN is going from from their view, um, and that spurred a blog that I wrote about uh, SDN acquisitions and um, thinking about how much VMware paid for Nicira. Um, based on what the VC guys were saying, it doesn't seem like we're going to see any more really big billion-dollar payouts for SDN startups going forward. That would make sense. I don't – I, th- you know, in the market we see today, there's Cisco's announced their intentions to release ACI sometime later this year. Yes. VMware is shipping NSX, which is its controller platform, mm-hmm. and then we have Open Daylight. So that means three platforms, all incompatible with each other. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> which is just, just the way we like it. Just the way we like it. Yes. And um, you know, so if I'm, you know, if I'm one of the other vendors, I'll, uh, you remember we were talking last week about you know all the vendors partnering with each other, or was that the week before? It was the week before, but yes. Yes. Yeah, so you know, if I'm F5 or Riverbed or you know a security tooling vendor, I now have to write my application to run for. I have to choose or write for any yes. of any and all of those three platforms if I want to deliver value to my customers. Absolutely. And um, that's not a good look. And so you know, like uh, the flip side of it is is that Embrain. I'm harking back to where Embrain was about three years mm-hmm. ago. Do you remember? And they wanted to be this platform. They wanted to be a platform that everybody would bring their virtual machines onto and they'd do the plumbing and, and all the things for them. And mm-hmm. what we know is is that vendors don't like using somebody else's platform. Exactly. Mm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether uh, vendors do actually jump on board and uh, decide to go with this. Yeah, I'm very curious uh, because there are a lot of startups out there, you know, working at uh, different bits of the SDN problem. So, uh, which is not to say that you know there's not value happening in the market, um, but I, I don't think we're going to see any big splashes like we saw with Nicira. No, and the great part about Nicira, of course, is that it gave EMC slash VMware turned them into a networking company overnight. Absolutely, which is you know cheap money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when you're cracking open a whole new market like that, yes, the yeah. dollars make sense. Yeah. So, and I don't think there's too many other gaps because they're platforms on which everybody else is going to have to operate. You know, so yeah, you know, all the other data center management tools are going to have to talk to ACI and NSX and Open Daylight. And that's the way it's going to be. I suspect over time, Open Daylight will win. Is if I have to pick a horse in this horse race, it'll be Open Daylight. I think. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be more wishy-washy and say that <laughs> I, I'm going to pick Open Daylight plus, you know, a competitor to be named later. <laughs> okay. It can only be a couple. It can't be three, I don't think. Um, I think for a while it will be three, and then we'll basically be living with two. But I'm not ready to commit on the second yet. Okay. I prefer to make my predictions after things have happened, so that I can sound smart. <laughs> well, I said if it's a horse race, I didn't say how. <laughs> I, you know which one? It only has to be a nose <laughs> to get up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's my prevarication for you. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so That's speaking funny. about uh, which, I, I think you're right. I, I agree with you. Your principle that that'll be the last major acquisition in the SDN space. Everything now is apps, and the apps yes. will have less inherent value. It'll less cash value, right? Because they don't stranglehold the market like controllers do, right? And so, and I think the open the reason I like Open Daylight is because everybody who's not VMware and Cisco will converge towards Open Daylight to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. And I think once enough that builds enough momentum, then that will effectively extinguish the other two. Okay. There so, you have it, folks. It's called the horse race. Well, that's how I see it racing up on the first bend. How's that? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so AT&T, in an article over at Network World written by Stephen Lawson, uh, AT&T laid out its radical network changes with SDN. This was quite amusing, I thought. I thought this was a lovely piece of politics. What about you? I thought it was uh, very interesting to hear a big company like AT&T stand up and say, you know, this is where we're going. You know, we want to bring in fresh ideas, new vendors, uh, and we need to run our business faster. 
uh, and this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, and I can't – do you think there's much politicking going on here? Oh, I'm sure there's always some politicking. You know, it's an opportunity for them to stick it to their legacy providers, you know, to say let's get more discounts in here. So I'm sure that kind of stuff is happening. Hmm. Um, and also it's, you know, it's ONS. It's a, uh, a, a conference where they're wanting to appear visionary. Um, so it's easy to say this is what we're going to do and harder to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely. You know, again, grain of salt here, but um, to have a organization of that size and market position speak like this, I think it represents a significant turning point. Yeah, I would agree. I think they're really laying out a strong case for saying we need a new way of doing this. Yes. You know what you what we're doing today isn't working as we think there's a better way. That's not yes. That it's not not that today's not working. Right. We think that there must be a better way, and this is how we're going to go after that. Yep. Um, and notably, it didn't include in its announcement. It's chosen four vendors. Uh, they are. It's, uh, it's called the Domain 2.0 initiative. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there will eventually be a number of them. My understanding is, in the past, AT&T had its Domain One. It chose three big vendors. And I think it was Ericsson, Cisco, and Alkalu. I could be wrong. I mean, who uh-huh. were, I, I didn't take any notice back in the time. And my understanding is that in each area of the network this vendor is bids for and then owns that piece of the network. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how they get integration because the integration points between the vendors is limited and within a given technology domain, the company, you know, the winning company sort of takes all and it creates a sort of a, uh, a Highlander-style battle for the, you know, who, <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one for any given technology. Um, and, you know, the, I think what they're trying to say here is actually we want to have many vendors with the, using products that are interoperable and compatible with each other. And uh, so, for example, if we look through the four companies they named, Ericsson, Metaswitch Networks, TailF Systems, and Affirmed Networks. So TailF is about putting a software layer over anybody's equipment and configuring it consistently. I don't know yes. if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's sort of saying, you know, well, we could use Cisco or Juniper or, Alco- you know, Ericsson Redback or, you know, Whitebox if what, that made sense. Huawei, FutureWay, whatever it was needed, and it wouldn't make any difference to us because that software layer would take away the configuration complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and that removes some of the problems or some of the inertia to move away from incumbent vendors. Right. And the Affirm Networks is a company who've been making virtual machines to do 4G connectivity. This company is producing software that does part of, not all of it, just parts of it, as I understand it, the 4G connectivity map, so that when your your iPhone connects to the 4G network, it has to connect to a bunch of back-end software systems near to the tower to be able to do things like user registration, subscriber databases, permissions, billing, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. And these are VMs that do those functions that would run in some sort of NFV-like platform. Huh. Uh, so that's really an out-there thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Ericsson, though, is a major incumbent in the networking space. So picking them is kind of uh, sort of saying, yeah, Ericsson's got it, but nobody else has. I want uh, that would be rather. I'm sure that raised some eyebrows and perhaps some hackles in certain corners. Mm. But it was just so public, wasn't it? It was quite public. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So maybe they think they can really, I wonder how long it'll take them years to get this thing sorted out. Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, on the same vein, Huawei, at the only thing I noticed to come out of MWC, the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, of any interest whatsoever. Did you see anything come out of MWC of interest? I was not paying too much attention to MWC. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't because it was boring. <laughs> uh, Huawei released a new router, which is literally the size of an SFP module. It is an SFP module. Um, and so it makes it about the size of your finger. And it's a full um, MPLS Edge network. It's an IP router with full-on OAM for the carrier with real-time measurement of per user and per service performance. And the router can be easily deployed on any network node without the need for network reconstruction. So basically, it's an SFP module that you put inside of a switch or a cheap router. Mm-hmm. And then you plug that into the fiber optic line coming from the carrier. And then you have the router powered by the customer's edge device. Nice. No power. You know, uh, all the software is inside the SFP. Mm-hmm. So all it needs is uh, some sort of, you know, low cost, no name brand, four port gigabit Ethernet switch or something. You slot this in and then you've got yourself a router running Huawei software. So who do you think is going to find this appealing? Well, today, when you're building an MPLS Edge network, you run a fiber down to the to the corporate premises, and then you have to have to something with DMPLSs, right? Acts as the translation from the MPLS network to the customer's network. Uh-huh. And quite often today, you're deploying, you know, some sort of router, mid-range router from a known vendor, you know, whether it's a Juniper or a Cisco or a Brocade or, you know, whoever. And... They're expensive, a significant part. And the carriers in most countries, not in the US, but in most countries, provide those boxes as part of the service, providing a managed service. Uh-huh. So if you could reduce this to a you know, couple of hundred bucks instead of several hundred bucks and not have to worry about the power or the power bricks or the parts or the maintenance or the service, you know, all that sort of stuff, you really reduce the cost of provisioning on-site services at the edge of the network. Uh-huh. So I think... It's quite, if it takes off, and that's an if, right? Yep, <laughs> I'm not making any predictions here, but <laughs> <laughs> if you can squeeze an MPLS PE router into an SFP, that really uh, changes the cost dynamics of a carrier network. Well, Huawei certainly had a lot of success in Asia, of course, and, and Europe. Um, the US market's been a bit tougher, but maybe this is a little toehold that's going to sneak them in a few places. Yeah, I think it, you know, just the fact that it's, you know, it's an SFP module. So you just plug it in and there's a router right in the SFP module of the mm-hmm. device. Mm-hmm. It sort of tells you how far routing has come. You no longer need this, you know, a gigabit router just doesn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can remember a gigabit router used to cost like, you know, 10 years wages for me. <laughs> <laughs> So commoditization is is everywhere. Yes, it is. Yeah, that seems like today's theme. Yes. Well, my coffee's nearly done. What about yours? I'm ready for a refill. Okay. Well, that's just about it for the coffee break this week. Uh, Don't hesitate to head over to the website at packetpushers.net to see the show notes. You can find the links to the articles that we talked about. And you can follow the Packet Pushers on Twitter if you'd like to see when we publish the show. We aim to get the show out about weekly, but, you know, it moves around a bit depending on availability and whether there's something interesting happening. We don't, uh, but definitely every fortnight or so. We'll look forward to catching up with you in a week. And then I think, Andrew, we're going to have a break because we're both going to be at Interop getting busy. Very busy at Interop, yes. Uh, so hopefully we can talk next week and then we'll have a maybe a post-Interop show. Mm. 
Maybe we can record something out in Robert. I think that'd be a lovely idea. We might. I'll, I'll drag over the audio gear and maybe we can do something face-to-face and see if it sounds any different. Probably we not. Could, we could try it over a couple of beers and see what happens. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Greg.